Good morning, everyone. Sorry for being a little late. I accidentally hit the power button and shut this down, so I had to bring it back up and then get everything situated. <laughs> so, apologize for that. So, last week we had just started this. I'm going to read these first few verses again in James. Now, we're in James, James chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect, mature, complete man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, or the course of your life, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the similitude or likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Now we were actually ready for question number three. And question number three, uh, what is the indication of maturity and self-control that James gives us here? Okay, so the indication he gives us here in verse two, right? He says it is the ability to bridle the tongue, right? If we do not, you know, he mentions perfect, meaning mature there, the perfect man. But if we do not stumble in word, if we're, you know, meaning our speech, meaning that we're watchful of our speech, I say a lot of times for me, just speaking for me personally, Silence is my best bet a lot of times. If I just keep my mouth shut, I do better. But, you know, that's just the way it is. You know, sometimes that's the best. But we need to bridle our tongues. We need to watch what we say, right? And uh, if we can, if we can bridle our tongue, what else can we do? Because he kind of hints at it, if we can bridle our tongue, because our tongue, we can steer the course of our lives, right? We can, we can have that self-control. If we can bridle that, that's the tongue is the, as we go through here, we'll see that the tongue is one of the hardest things to master. 
So, and maybe the most important because it also can defile us. All right, so if we look at, does anybody have anything on that before we move on? Yes. I was going to say, sometimes it's just best not to say anything. Right, that's, I agree. Sometimes better just not to say anything at all. Yep. Sometimes uh, the way you say it I know, I know. Sometimes you say something and you, you mean well, but maybe it comes out incorrectly or whatever. Yes, that, that does happen. So if we look at question number four, what two illustrations does James use to show the power of the tongue? The uh, rudder of a ship and the horse's bridle. Right, uh, the rudder of a ship and the horse's bridle and bit that control the horse. Right? So, and this can tell us that our, our speech will often determine our path. If we think about it, you know, God created everything through speaking. So it's an important, powerful thing. Are we edifying and, and blessing? Is that how we're using our speech? Or, you know, it's, it's important that we Pay attention. All right, so we'll look at question five. What illustration is used to show the danger of the tongue? A forest fire. A forest fire, right? Remember Smokey the Bear? Only you can prevent forest fires, and sometimes only we can prevent ourselves from saying, like Pavel saying, saying something wrong, maybe saying it, even if we mean well, maybe saying it in the wrong way or, you know, but sometimes, I mean, I know just from my personal experience, I've just blatantly, plainly said the wrong thing. And that's, you know, that's on us. That's bad. And a lot of this has to do, you know, with examining ourselves, looking at ourselves in the mirror, you know, as always. So, you know, have we ever said something that we wished we could take back? that we wished we hadn't said that caused us a lot of trouble, a lot of grief. Yes? We say things in anger sometimes. Definitely. That's the worst time we can speak. We need to learn to That's something Speaking in anger is one of the worst things we can do, and you're right. I think a lot of times, that's where I, I get what I was saying earlier, sometimes I just need to shut up and just not say anything because I'm angry and what I'm going to say is of either no value or is just not a good thing. It's it's a bad thing. Yes. I was thinking of Peter when he denied Christ. He used his tongue in the wrong way. He lied. Well, and, G and uh, Peter, Peter spoke in fear there, didn't he? He was denying Christ, speaking in fear. So that's another... That's another wrong way of speaking. I, I have a husband that could be dead serious, but he said it in an easy way so people really would know that he was serious. Oh, okay. With an art, I'll tell you. But it's the wrong kind of art. <laughs> it's an art of speaking, huh? Yeah. For, okay, so he was, he was serious, but he was teasing. I guess that kind of softens it a little bit, though. I mean, the, you know. Well, I mean... And unless you really knew him, you knew, you knew what he was doing. Right, right. 
If you knew him, then you'd know that that was, he was still being honest <laughs> or straightforward. Uh, yeah. Yes. I think another danger here in verse 5 about the tongue is that it makes great boasts. So, again, if we're not silent and we get to talking, we might exaggerate and make some stories sound more spectacular or our part in that story was more interesting or amazing what happened to us to get attention. And a lot of times we brag and boasting and bragging is the opposite of being a humble person. Right. And there is that temptation to boast or brag or to make whatever you're talking about for you more important, making yourself more important than maybe you are or you were. Yeah, there is that temptation too with the tongue that to do that, um, you know, and then, of course, there's also hurting people's feelings and things of that nature, which, as we said, could create some pretty bad situations for you. So you want to have anything else on that before we move on? All right. So I need to move forward. Okay. So question number six. How does James describe the tongue? It says it's a world of iniquity. A world of iniquity, which, okay, that's pretty, that's pretty big, right? I mean, a fire, a world of iniquity. What else does he say about it? It can be full of deadly poison. Right, full of deadly poison. And that's, I think, when we speak in anger, sometimes that's what we're talking about, too, is it can be bad, really, really bad. Um, anybody have anything else? Yes. It makes me think of either a scorpion or a snake, but they have that venomous portion to them. And our words can bite and hurt when we snap at people, but sometimes it's even more so. And it's this long, burning, hurting, painful thing. Because once those words are out, we can't take them back. We can go back to that person and say, I'm so sorry, I apologize. I was very hateful. And that came out wrong or, or whatever you need to do to make that right. But when those words are out, a lot of times it's that sting and someone's thinking that over in their mind that that person said that to me and it still hurts. Right. We can hurt others and really cause a, a long, a long pain and a lot of a deep pain, even without meaning to with our words. Right. But it, but definitely we can in anger and sometimes in in uh, deceptive sly ways, people can cause these hurts and injuries, too. So we need to be aware of that. Does anyone have anything else? That's evil. So that makes you think that maybe you can control it. Unruly evil. And that's that's right. And the fact that he says unruly evil, that to me, I too think, yeah, there's a way that we can make it ruly or tamed or controlled, right? It would be difficult. Right. And he says no man can tame the tongue, right? But but who can? Who can help us with that? The Lord. The Lord, right? The Lord the Bible, the Word, can help us 
with that. Yes. Right. James is already kind of talking about this, being slow to speak and quick to hear. Yep. He's already, I mean, he's touching on all these things a lot. Um, yes. That's how we get control over it is by being slow, <laughs> slow to speak and quick to hear. Yes, Cookie. Is that right up there with why we have one mouth and two ears? Well, I've heard people say that, and that, that makes sense, doesn't it? We have two ears, so we should be listening more than we're speaking, right? So, yeah, that makes good sense. That's a practical way of looking at it. So, another thing that uh, he said about the tongue that we mentioned a little bit, uh, it sets on fire the course of nature or the course of your life and uh, also being set on fire by hell and hell there was Gehenna which was the best representation I can do of that was like this was like a huge ditch or landfill where they burned all the refuse and stuff and that was that imagery of just horrible stuff burning and that was that was the kind of imagery of hell that it gave me when I read about that. So, uh, Also, the tongue does blessings and does curses. Yes, yes, and uh, we can't, we shouldn't be doing that, right? He says plainly we shouldn't be giving both blessings and cursings. We should. That's what the tongue does. Yes. <laughs> the old saying is talking out both sides of your mouth. Yeah, talking out both sides of your mouth, yeah, because you, yeah. You're saying one thing here and then another. Yeah, I, I understand. That's that's kind of what this is all getting at, is controlling our tongue and making sure that we're speaking. Yes? When you think about, at least when I do, when I think about Gehenna and that burning, that rotting stench of that, where all the refuse was, if we compare that to what our prayers and the praise and the talking about here with Gehenna and the landfill and the burning refuse and all that stench and smoke and compare that to you know the praises of God and speaking his word and that's that's the opposite of that where we're what'd you say is a sweet aroma to the Lord and it's a good yeah our prayers and words yeah being like incense to God being good things that's good imagery to think about so if we look at uh, if we look down at question seven, what example does James use to show how the tongue is often misused? And I think actually Shirley Dunn kind of mentioned this: blessing God and cursing man who is made in His image, right? Because we're all made in God's image, we need to be careful how we use our language against others, right? I know we get frustrated with people, especially uh, 
just speaking from personal experience again, especially like maybe our politicians and leaders, we get frustrated and uh, we think, what in the world is wrong with these people? But uh, we need to be careful how we talk about them. We need to make sure that we're respectful even if we disagree. That's, that's just the way we're supposed to be. And we need to remember that most people, especially those who don't know God, they're not evil. They're deceived by evil. That's the problem. So, because we know who the source of that evil is, and that's the real issue. Sorry, I just went off on that. But anyway. That was pretty good. <laughs> hmm? That was pretty good. You need to say that. Thank you. Okay, so... Um, then if we look at question eight, what illustrations does James provide to show the incongruity of such speech? And I'll say that that just means basically the, the conflicting idea of such speech. Yes? I think sometimes uh, this makes you think of false teachers because speak a lot of truth, but then they've got a lot of false doctrine in there. Well, yeah, false teachers, I mean, depending on how you look at it, someone can be wrong without meaning to be wrong. That's one thing. But if, well, what I think of as a false teacher is someone who's purposefully wrong doing things for their own gain. And they will use the word, like you're saying, some of the things they say will be correct and good, but they will use that for their own gain. That's the way I think of false teachers. Now that, you know, that can be different for different people. Some people are just learning and, you know, we're all in different points on the path following the Lord. And sometimes we are wrong about some things and we just, we have to accept that we're learning and we may have, have something wrong now and a year from now we may learn differently. That doesn't mean we were purposefully false. That's my only thing, you know, about that. But what he's talking about here is he's comparing, you know, we can't, uh, we can't speak blessing and cursing, right? You know, the, the spring doesn't give forth fresh water and salt water. And it kind of goes back to even if you think what Jesus said, you know, about what comes out of our mouths is what defiles us. Because when we're speaking awful, hateful things, that's, that's showing that's, well, that's defiling us. That's defiling our hearts. That's hurting ourselves. And it's hurting others. And, uh, you know, a fig tree can't bear olives. A grapevine can't bear figs. You know, they can't bear the wrong type of fruit. And uh, in a lot of ways, what we say, what we speak, that shows the fruit of our heart, the state of our heart. It reveals a lot about us. And the time you think, Right. Yes. A lot of times, especially when we speak rashly in anger and other things, we say things that we are thinking that maybe we shouldn't even be thinking, but we're human. I know. Does anyone have anything else on that? All right. So let's read James uh, chapter three, verses 13 through 18. This is the second part of the chapter. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. 
But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So with those verses in mind, if we look at question number nine, how is the wise and understanding person to manifest himself? Right. By their conducts, their actions, and it says done in meekness, right? So conduct and actions done with the right attitude, you'd say. Now we, I know, okay, let me just ask this. Um, what examples do you have of that type of conduct in meekness, like in the Bible, from the Lord or the apostles or? Yes. The woman who broke the flask and anointed Jesus with the oil. Okay. Right. She came and done that out of her own. That was an action that she took on her own and still in meekness though, right? And serving him. Christ showed humility when he washed the Yes, yes. Jesus showed humility in washing the apostles' feet. That was uh, an action done in, in meekness and in service to others. Yes. In the whole arc of his life, of course, in, in service, but in power, but under control, and, and submitting to God the Father for the whole purpose of salvation when he died for us, uh, certainly shows good works, wisdom, and control and all those things. Right. Jesus' Jesus' whole life was all about that service and good works and control. And, and in meekness, I mean, he did all those things for us. That was all done with the end goal of giving us an opportunity to be free of sin and death. So I was thinking of, and this is just a couple of things I thought of, was Jesus going through his trial, he was meek. He didn't rail and get angry and go crazy against them like some of us would be tempted to do. We would be frustrated, you know, because here he hadn't done anything. He had done nothing. He didn't deserve to be on trial at all, right? And we see a different example with Paul's trial. Paul did everything still with meekness and within the law, but he did try to defend himself. And I think Paul's example of going through a trial is probably uh, another good example for us to think of if we have those types of issues, trying to do everything within the law that we can do reasonably to defend ourselves. Yes? I was thinking of Ruth, how much uh, humility she showed her mother-in-law by <coughs> saying that she would go with her and serve her God. Right. Ruth said that she would go, is Naomi, right? said she would go with Naomi and serve 
you know, where she would serve. That was done in humility and meekness. Yeah, she said she would go with her and do that. Yeah, it's another good example. Yes. slapping him and spitting on him and saying you're a blasphemer and you're all these horrible things and he had that control and it's a great example yeah, Jesus did set that example. He did have great control over all the power he had when even the Jewish leaders were abusing him. And it's funny to read that, and I don't mean funny, haha, but I mean it's strange to read that and realize this was the council of religious leaders that were even mistreating him like that. But he held that, that, all that power under control, and he did not lash out or do anything. Okay, so if we look at question number 10 then, what characterizes wisdom that does not bleh, that does not descend from above? Yeah. The devil? Well, Straight up, you could just say Satan and the devil does describe that. That's what he was saying was uh, uh, bitter envy and self-seeking, boasting and lying against the truth, right? But um, the source of that, which is what I was thinking also is, is Satan. That's the evil that has deceived the world, right? And that kind of gets into our next question even. Uh, but if we look at the bitter envy and self-seeking, the boasting, the lying against the truth, you know, do we have do we have examples of this? Where someone maybe is pretending to be wise in the scriptures for their own gain again? I want to say Judas carried. Well, Judas carried off a uh, a deception of his own, didn't he? That's right. And I wasn't thinking about that. I don't know how he was planning on gaining from that exactly, but he did get the money, so which he later regretted, yes. Maybe Simon the sorcerer he was trying to be the great power of God and be all of that. Simon the sorcerer, yeah, that's probably a good example too. I I had uh that's I think that's who my mind was trying to think of. Um so yeah, because he wanted to have the power of God and or the power that he saw the apostles having, right? We so see that, um, Paul was uh, persecuting the Christians, and he had a bad attitude until he knew the truth. Yeah, Paul was persecuting the Christians, but I think he was just zealous. I think he truly believed in what he was doing. I don't know if that was. I don't know if that was selfish or not. Maybe it was. I don't know. I think he did it out of pure love. That's what I've always thought. That even though he was wrong, he thought he was doing the right thing. He right, because he did change, and then he showed that same zealousness, ze zealousness for the Lord mm -hmm. 
when he when he changed. So yeah, that's how I thought of that or looked at that too. So if we look at question eleven, and this kind of oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Very selfish. He wanted that. He felt the pouted until he got it, and his wife said, "Well, get rid of the guy, and you can take it." Okay, so that Ahab and Jezebel, and Jezebel, yeah, and Naboth's vineyard, right? Yeah, I just the names, anyway. Um, yeah, so he wanted that vineyard, and and saw a way to get that. So, and that's a that's a selfish gain and ambition there to want that and get that. So if we look at question number 11, what is the source of such wisdom? And this goes back to what Martha Warner said, right? This In the scripture there, it says it is earthly, sensual, and demonic. So it's satanic, right? It comes from Satan. If we look at uh, Jesus' temptations that Satan presented to Jesus, they were about, you know, mainly pleasing himself and his pride. You know, that's how, and that's how we get trapped, right? In our own pleasures and our own pride. Didn't work on the Lord, but. So if we look at question 12, what exists when there is envy and self-seeking? Disorder and chaos, okay. Every vile practice. Right. Right, every vile that's a good that's a good way of putting that. Yeah, and uh the, the New King James Version says every evil thing, so every vile practice, every and confusion and confusion, and we know that God is not the author of confusion, right? He does not give us confusion. So again, James is pointing us to where the source of these bad things are. And uh, coaching us to not, you know, to not follow those things, the worldly things. So question number 13, what are the qualities of wisdom that is from above? You can find that in verse 17. There's many things, I mean, you know. There's actually, yeah, there's actually many things, yes. Yeah. It, it, it's pure. Yep, it's, it, it is first pure. It's general, it's helpful, you know, it's just, I Yep. Peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, right? And shouldn't this be a description of us, I mean... Shouldn't this be what we're presenting to the world? And to God, but I just meant as an example for people to see. So if we look at uh, question 14, who produces the fruit of righteousness? Peacemakers, right? So, you know, are we, when we look at ourselves, are we representatives of the Lord's peace? 
It's something we have to ask ourselves. And, and I believe that um, verses 17 and 18 are actually really tied together because um, verse 18 is basically telling us the, the results of acting on God's wisdom and those qualities that we mentioned in verse 17, what those, you know, the production of those qualities. Yes. Yes, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Was it for they shall see God? Okay. The peacemakers to me are equal to being righteous. Our life is aligned correctly with the Lord and his word. Right. We and we won't try to cause that for others, right? I mean our lives will be peaceable and we will share that peace with others. We won't be trying to what Jesus said, love the Lord and Right. Oh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. So that's I, I. I knew we were close. There's, you know, they they. It's understandable. They kind of run together sometimes when we, you know, when we're not looking strictly at them. But uh, yeah. Yes, it is. It says, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God." And then right below that are blessed are the peacemakers. But yes, um, these are all, you know, the Beatitudes, it's a state of being blessed by God for having that attitude, for doing those things. Yes? We can see that uh, Christ uh, sowed righteousness and he was called the Prince of Peace. Yeah, and Jesus is called the Prince of Peace and he definitely did sow righteousness his whole life. Does anyone have anything else before we end here this morning all right all right so we'll end here and we'll pick up and start with uh, James chapter 4 next week I want to thank you for your time and your attention this morning